There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Let me turn down this old uh, Monday Night Football as we get ready. Some more Tisha Radio. What's up, bye bye? Your boy 3K. Hey, I'm not What's up, man? Man. It's gonna. What you think about uh, tonight's game? Oh. Let me turn that off. What are you thinking about tonight's uh, game? It's like. Uh, which game? The, See how the, stakes, it? the stakes have risen. Uh, in terms of Monday Night Football? In terms of who wins, <laughs> you see, we have the Seahawks who are, you know, they win, they take first back in the division. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, that's Monday Night That's part of the fun of Monday Night Football, right? Is that everybody right. in the country's watching. There's no other competing games, and especially now that baseball's over, basketball, hockey's too early on in the season to really soak up a ton of coverage. So. This is this is where we're at, man. It's November. The stakes are high. This matters. Stakes are very high. Let's just uh let's just say that after years of the Rams losing and not even being in position to win the division, can you root mm-hmm. against the Seahawks any harder than tonight? <laughs> it's like uh whatever you do, don't win. Any other time you like, you don't care. I'm down. Well, the Falcons are trying to down 14 to nothing to get started. Hell of a start. Anyway. Rolling down this weekend, did you get, did, did Mason get a new fridge? Are we still having fridge problems? No, Mason got the fridge that he had fixed. Mason had a busy weekend. Like, dude. (laughs) I'm like, geez, I was tired as hell Sunday night. Didn't sit still all weekend. So with you, how your weekend go? Other than I didn't do know, shit. Obvious. <laughs> I started getting ready for Thanksgiving. That was it. We planned out the menu. We went food shopping. Oh, Wife had to get decorations. That's what I. We do. don't believe in that. Well, bro, being prepared. <laughs> we just get. We just get prepared the night before. <laughs> We we those last minute shoppers, the ones that's fighting over turkeys and stuff. Yeah, that's us. Nope. We got make, we got the entire menu plan. We got everything. Somebody going to jail. <laughs> I got it. We got everything in the bag right here. We got all the ingredients. Start cooking tomorrow to start prepping. So it's going down. Start cooking. I'll tell you what I didn't do. This and this is rare. I didn't watch any college football. I mean, I watched a little bit of the North Texas game. 
But I, I didn't watch actual college football this weekend. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised because of the games. Mercer. <laughs> Alabama Mercer. That's a, well, that's I not true. Like My daughter Alabama did. should automatically be dropped in the rankings because they played their games. <laughs> It was a little rude to schedule. My, out of nowhere, my daughter decided she wanted to go to Buffalo Wild Wings for lunch. So I did catch, what, 30 minutes of the Miami game and every game that was being played right there because Buffalo Wild Wings got 18,000 television. Didn't actually right. sit down to watch any college football. And it was a good weekend. You know, the, the point was, oh, look, I get to decompress from college football. I don't have to pay attention. I can load up emotionally and prepare for Rams, Vikings, and I did that. And then the game. So that's what happened. It's your fault. Yeah. You can put it on me. I'll take this one. Yeah. You see? This is why you don't change routines. Everybody out there, I hope you <laughs> there is. don't change routines. There was some routines. I saw some people <laughs> change their spot that they sit on in the couch. We've gotten some weird routine mention. Hit us up on Twitter with your re- weird routines because we've gotten a couple from people. Uh, yeah. And there, there is but people are interesting. I'll put it like that. True. But speaking of uh, changing routines, that's a, that's like the perfect leeway into the Rams game yesterday. <laughs> you know, I I, I I was I was really lost by uh, Sean McVay's approach to the game offensively. Um, they just completely they played a completely different type of offensive game than what they played all year. I was I was pleasantly surprised. What'd you think of uh what you think of the offensive approach yesterday? You know what's weirder in retrospect was how function it's not even just functional. The first drive made sense and it was kind of what I was expecting with a, a blend of, you know, run and pass and things were working. It was that same kind of versatile offense where we're getting Sammy Watkins involved. We're getting Robert Woods involved. And you march down and make a statement drive to start the game. And that was kind of it. Then, And from there, the, the offense just fell apart. And even, you know, from the sidelines, from the play calling, there just was never any rhythm outside of, obviously, the drive where Cooper Cup fumbled at the one. Outside of that drive, there was no rhythm to the offense for the rest of the game, man. It was really strange. It was definitely different. Um, when I was when I was sitting there watching it, and it got even worse when I went back and reviewed the coaching film last night. Like I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm just like, okay, I really feel like he's overthinking it now. You know, how sometimes you you, you hear the old saying, "You're so smart, you're dumb," <laughs> because mm-hmm. you're so smart, you overthink things. <laughs> I felt like that was shopping day yesterday. You know, it was like I said last week regardless of what he says about one game at a time, there's no way you can tell me Sean McVay doesn't realize the impact of this stretch of games that they're entering. I feel like like that played a role in his approach because, you know, I I know at our group chat I kept talking about, oh, he hasn't done one single play where there's a, you know, pre-snap motion with Savon, which is something that they do all the time. Yes, simple, but it actually works. (laughs) You know, that decoy works, you know. And then – not just that, but there was so many plays where I was thinking they were going to go, you know, have a lot of routes going to that 15, 10 to 15-yard mark, that intermediate part of the field, something they've done all year, especially when it comes to crossing routes. We saw, like, one of those plays yesterday, and I was just like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, it wasn't 
it wasn't uh, the type of offense that I think we've become accustomed to seeing this year. You know, it was either something really short, you know, below the the yard marker, or it was really deep. That's it. There was no in-between. There was no motions. There was no creative plays. Every game this year we've seen at least one or two really creative plays that he just kind of pulled out the bag. We didn't see anything. You know, it was, uh, it was vanilla to some degree. <laughs> it, it was, was, it was uh, Jeff Fisher-esque. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. As well, Tavon was, Austin uh, only got two snaps. It was yeah. a surprise. Tavon Austin only got two snaps, so I think everybody was surprised. Season low, obviously, by just how little uh, he played. But I think the ground game was, pro- and that's the thing that's been bugging me more today than it did yesterday, was just how little we ran the ball. It was only 15 rushing attempts, which was. Uh, third lowest this season, the game against Seattle, Gurley had 14, and then against Houston, he only had 11, but obviously the way things were going when they pulled the starters out, he didn't get a chance to really run the clock on uh, So the, And especially because if you go back, let me pull it up, that first drive, the successful one where we scored the touchdown, you've got let's look, one, two, three, four. Four out of the nine plays were rushes, which means that for the rest of the game – he only had 11 more rushes. And so that that was really the number one thing offensively in terms of the play calling that I wasn't prepared for was just the lack of Todd Gurley. And I get it. He wasn't having a great game. He only had 37 yards for 15 carries. But you got you, you got to give him the ball. you got to get more out of him and, you know, challenge the offensive line to block more. I thought that was really my biggest takeaway from the offense and the, the lack of rhythm. Put it like this. I'll bring up the drive chart. That first touchdown drive was nine plays. The one where Cup fumbled at the one was nine plays. Here's every drive outside of those two. A three-play punt, three and out. Five plays, punt. One play at the end of the half, so you can even discount that one. So you had a three three and out, five plays to the punt, five plays to a punt, a three and out to a punt, five plays to a punt, three and out to a punt. And then the last drive was the 13 play uh, where they had to turn it over on downs ultimately at the end. So pretty much every other drive, what was that, six drives, was either three and out or five five and out where you picked up a first down and then just couldn't get another one. There was just no rhythm to the offense. And, yeah, I think that uh, that a lot of that responsibility has to stay on the sideline with Mizzou. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, I was when I was watching it live, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, what's going on here? What am I seeing? And there you have the Cooper Cup fumble. You have a couple of drops, you know. Uh, where you're like, okay, the players, they can play a little bit better. Um, sure. But ultimately, when I, you know, was at the end of the game, I was just like, I feel like this was more coaching. And, of course, I never mm-hmm. like to make my final decision on what I think until after I watched the coaches film where I could watch everything. And after watching the coaches film, I, I was like, it was set in stone. I was just like, man, this is this was a really – Vanilla coached game. So I, I, the approach doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, considering what Sean McVay sure. has proven to be. You know, he, he he wants to take those shots. He loves the intermediate part of the field, that between twelve to sixteen, eighteen yard range. He likes to get the ball in there a lot. You know, but you didn't see a lot of those routes. Um, so the few times they did run it. Golf actually played a really good game. This was actually one of his best. Games. There was a part of there was a part of that game where you know he you could tell he started trying to press it, uh, trying to get him, create something for the offense. You know where 
he throws it to triple coverage. If he turns around, he throws it to double coverage. You know, lucky neither one was picked off. But you could tell he tried to press it a little bit. But then, of course, he went back to his regular self and regained that composure and just stopped trying to press things. But I, I thought golf actually played really well, considering all, you know, all things considered, with the uh, the change in the approach. You know, I guess would be the best way to put it. I thought golf did a pretty good job of when there was an opportunity for some type of shot he would go for it as opposed to just kind of falling back. Um, much more aggressive than I, I would have expected him to be in that game. Yeah, late on. I, I thought golf played well. I think, you know, in terms of the coaches versus players, I think it's hard to really get away from the Cooper Cup fumble because, you know, it's a 7-7 game. You're on the road against a playoff caliber team. And you're, you're obviously you're knocking on the door. You're about to get in and take a lead on the road. That's inescapable how valuable that is especially when you yeah. look back, not just the, the way the game went, but the fact that it was still tied at seven by the end of the third quarter. So it wasn't yeah. as if this game got away from the Rams, you know, second quarter, third quarter. It wasn't until the fourth quarter that really – and re- it, it, it wasn't even then. I, don't, I still don't think the game really got away from it. <clears throat> Minnesota had that good drive that, you know, crossed the third quarter into the fourth that made it 14-7. And then the, kind of the, the, the weirdest thing to me was that next series, right? We get the ball. Todd Gurley gets a first down run, and he gains seven yards. And it's like, where has that yeah. been all game? And, of course, what happens? You immediately pick up the first down, a little dig to Sammy Watkins. Okay. Well, right. Clearly, that should have been there the whole game, but whatever. It's only 14-7. Let's get back into this. And then they take three deep shots. And it's it's one of those things where uh, that's – that's the part that was on the coaches to me was it seemed like there could have been, even with, by keeping it vanilla, you could have gone, you know, more to the ground game, more to the short stuff. You don't, there was still 14 minutes in the fourth quarter. You're only down by a touchdown. They've only scored two touchdowns all game. You, you're doing a fine job defensively. You're doing – when you're forcing the issue, you're getting some things done offensively. You just don't have to force it deep. And so the, I think it was one of those things, and Andrew Whitworth said it in his after-the-game comment, whether it's McVay or this coaching staff together, which collectively is, you know, only, what, 11 games in now or 10 games in, uh, and as young as the roster is, they haven't, they haven't faced these kind of challenges. They haven't dealt with – you know, the frustration of getting into a third quarter in a really, really, really loud environment on the road in a playoff caliber game, they haven't done this before. And so they kind of need to get punched in the mouth a little bit to figure out how they want to respond. And obviously the response yesterday wasn't great, but the lack of experience might have been the biggest factor, whether it was the play calling or the execution or the mental preparedness for guys like Cup with the mistakes he had. They, they just haven't had this kind of a challenge much in their careers, and so I'm not surprised that somebody like Case Keenum, who's got a little bit more seasoning, and some of the rest of the guys on that Minnesota side were a little bit more up for the game than the Rams were just because maybe they've been around that block before. So let me ask you this. You know, you touched on it a little bit there, but Andrew Whitworth, you know, he says that the team needed this adversity, you know. Yeah. Um it, he he said he wasn't obviously wasn't happy about the loss, but he welcomed it. Like he, he he feels that it was something that the team as a whole actually needed to move forward. You know, um, what is what does something like that say to you? You know, when you have the team's top veteran say that, like, what does it mean to you to hear that? I mean, that you needed to lose, right? I mean, it's interesting. It's one of those things where 
you figure what what it is that they need to gain here. I'll grab the quote. It's this is what Whitworth said. It's frustrating, but the reality is we needed adversity. It's not to see that we didn't need to come back and win that game, but when you're on the road in a really hard place to play, one of the best defenses in the league, to play the kind of game we were in and for this team to be in the game, I think it shows you that we're legit and we're the real deal. If we get this opportunity in the playoffs and get a chance to get in, then we'll be prepared for it. Those are the kind of games you're going to play. If you want to play after the regular season, if you want to play late in the year in big games, this is the atmosphere you're going to have to learn how to play and learn how to play. And that's pretty much it, right? I mean, you, you, it's it's a trial by fire. And this Andrew Whitworth's one of the few people who has been in that fire. And even then, when were we talking about it? A couple of weeks ago, uh, who did we have? Was it Jim Everett? It was Jim that brought up the idea that even then, you know, he Whitworth's only been to the first round, right, with the Bengals. There's just not there's not anybody on this team with a ton of experience from deep playoff runs from from dealing with these kind of challenges on the road and being that kind of a team. And so, you know, the, I think the question is, do they learn from it? Because if they do, man, I mean, th- then we can look back at this game and say, yeah, that was a really useful loss. That was a kind of loss where the team grew up that day. I think the problem is that, you know, in recent years, we've seen a team that didn't do that. And a lot of those guys are still on this rod. That was the, one of the main things that concerned me going into 2017. Wasn't, you know, we said it all offseason. I was cautiously optimistic. I bought into McVay. I bought into Phillips. I bought into free agency. I bought into the draft. All the changes they were making were fine. But it's one of these things where when, when you look across this roster, who, who's going to get it done in, in these next couple of weeks when we face the Saints? when we face the Eagles, when we face the Seahawks again. Because if you're looking to the guys that have been there, it's hard to buy into the idea that Tavon Austin or Todd Gurley is going to be the guy to save you when they've been around for the last couple of years and they weren't able to prevent it in the first place. I'm not saying they can't, but it just seems like it's one of those awkward situations where you're saying, who's going to be the people to step up in the face of adversity. And if you're, face, if you're calling out those kind of guys, that's one of those things where I just don't know that that's going to be the right calculus to get it done. I mean, I agree with everything that you said there, you know, as far as growth. And I guess I'm kind of thinking sort of along the same lines uh, when kind of analyzing what it was that Andrew Whitworth said. And to me, I think it stood out so much, you know, to be that adversity because you have a team, as you said, who's not used to winning. You know, the nucleus sure. of this team, all of the key positions, the top players, the Jared Goff, the, uh, the Todd Gurley, the Aaron Donald, the Ogletree, the Trubay Johnson, Marcus Joyner, you know, they're not used to winning at this level, you know. Um, they, none of them have experienced it. Um, so to – Come into this game, you're seven and two. All of a sudden, you're starting to hear your hear the media talking about you in nothing but positive light. I mean, all week long for the past two weeks, every day I've heard nothing but praise coming from the TV and you know ESPN radio in the car and stuff like. That's all I hear, you know, praise for the Rams. And when Whitworth said that, I immediately started thinking: is there is there more to this, you know, behind? Many doors that people may not know where he might, as a veteran, he might be able to sit back and say he could see that it started to get to their heads, you know, uh, that, that, you know, they, that the team hasn't faced that adversity. And maybe that, maybe all of the praise and the winning and all that stuff 
was kind of getting guys big heads, and it needed they needed that adversity to come back down to earth to you know right the ship, get back on chores to react the right way, you know to to things like it's better now to happen as opposed to January, <laughs> you know. So I, 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 that's what that was kind of my first thought when I heard him say it, and it was it was definitely an interesting quote, and I loved it. I loved the fact that he embraced it so much, and I don't think that's something that uh, uh the Rams have had in a long time. A player that's like, okay, fine, we got we got kicked in the butt. You know, we needed to be kicked in the butt. Now let's see how we responded to that. Like, it was a, uh, and, it was definitely a good approach. What was really interesting, you brought up a good name that I hadn't really thought about, which is Trumaine Johnson, right? Trumaine Johnson has been around this team since 2012. 2012. Okay, this is a six pro season. This is a guy who, by to this point in his career, by week 12, every year of his career. He was already playing for next year. And for each of the last three years, or two years, he's been playing for a new contract, right? He, he hasn't played for the sake of playing. He's been, and I don't, I'm not questioning his character or his effort or anything like that. That's just the situation he was in. What, what I think's interesting, in, in take the situation that the Rams were in yesterday. It's 7-7, seven to seven, end of the third quarter, the Vikings are driving. You really you need a turnover. You need something to flip the momentum and get the Rams in the game. It's not that Trumaine Johnson can't make a play there. It's that he's never needed to his entire career. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that's hard to, to really buy into the readiness of guys like that who have been around for so long that have never faced this kind of adversity, the, 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 you know, an actual constructive adversity versus just the kind that we felt like last year where you're just playing out a season and trying to play for a new contract and trying to be a professional. Sure, that takes, you know, a lot of maturity in and of itself. But this is different. This is football. You need to go win a goddamn game, and there's just not a lot of guys on this roster who have been in the position to need to do that in late November. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's new territory. That that's like we've said that a couple yeah. times. You know, when oh the Rams are on a win streak. You know, the Rams are a five and two. It's like oh this is new territory. You know, said it like jokingly, but uh, in that aspect of things, this it could be any more true. It's so it's so new and Tremaine Johnson is the perfect example because he was there throughout the, the Jeff Fisher era, you know, where there was, you know, it's one thing to just kind of be like bottom of the barrel. You just think, you know, the, that Rams team from 2009, you know, that that's one thing, you know, where you finish the season two and 14. Um, but then there's another thing where you just kind of stuck in that mediocrity you know, where you're winning six games, you're winning seven games, you know, you're stuck right there. You know, you're not so bad to where you are uh, – you have no idea how to win a big game because the Rams have won big games over the last five years. You know, so you're not so bad to where you don't know how to win big games. But then you're also not necessarily so good to where you are uh, just used to being in a situation to where you have to play to certain levels, like the example you use of making that big play at the end of the game. Um, it's 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 really a, a sticky area. <laughs> you, you know, you you don't have much experience on either side of the of the spectrum. So it's like, how do you how do you approach that? How do you approach the game if you're a Tremaine Johnson or an Alec Ogletree who was a year after him? You know, so and that I think to me that's the probably going to be the most telling from this adversity that Andrew Whitworth was speaking of because 
these guys aren't so bad. They haven't been so bad, but they haven't been so good. They've kind of been in a rut. See which which side of the fence these guys will fall on to be pretty telling. But what what would th- you say? I was, that, I was just going to say, think about think about the player that everybody was talking about coming out of the game, Cooper Cup, right? If Cooper yeah. Cup is a rookie, he's played ten. He's now played ten NFL games. Cooper Cup does. He, he went to Eastern Washington. Cooper Cup doesn't know what this environment is. Cooper Cup doesn't know what it means to have the entire city of Los Angeles demanding better in that kind of a situation. This is just it's new ground, and that you know you're going to fail some of these challenges. We knew the Rams weren't going sixteen and zero, and when you play a team like the Vikings, sometimes you need to get whooped in order to figure out how to prevent it the next time. And hopefully, hopefully, that's what we got out of yesterday so that the next time we get to a game like this and it's coming next week, we'll be better prepared to be able to deal with it. The only thing I would say um, in regards to the Cooper Cup thing, uh, as far as he doesn't know, is if we're going to say that, then we can't say – we can't talk about, oh, he's so advanced for a rookie. You know, oh, he, sure. he gets the game. He understands. Because if you're going to talk about him being able to process and understand and uh, having this high football IQ, you know, this, his football acumen is just different, you know. If we're going to praise him when it's good, then we can't step back when it's bad and say, oh, but he's a rookie. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it works that way. You know, so, yeah, I, yeah yeah, he uh, he is a rookie, you know, uh, but he's a, he's an old rookie, you know, because before, <laughs> you know, he's older than Jerry right. Goff and Todd Gurley, <laughs> you know, and he he is a really smart player. He does have a really football a really high football IQ, you know, but I can't sit here and say, oh well, you know, he's a rookie, so he he he, and he doesn't understand the magnitude of it, or he he doesn't know what it's like, or you know, he doesn't understand this level because. When it's good, everyone talks about how much he understands this level. So when it's bad, no I, I, we can't reverse back and say, oh, well, he doesn't understand. I, I, I definitely think he understands. Uh, he just – he's making a few mistakes in some key situations. It's just that simple. Uh, he really – you know, if you're, gonna, if you're being completely honest, he hasn't really done much since that week one game. You know, that was the game where he uh, he had his – where he was his best. You know, where he was at his best. He kind of came out and – you know he performed really well, but since then it's been it's been a lot of inconsistencies in the game. You know, so I, me personally, I feel like you have to hold anyone accountable who plays that much at this point in the season because now he's played he played more than a lot of the veterans. You know, and yeah. at this point, oh yeah, you you've seen every coverage. You know, and you're already praised for being able to recognize these things. You've seen every coverage at this point. You know, so you're you you're at this point you should start to be clicking. You know, if um, if you're as advanced and as pro ready as you would assume, considering that you played that you played as much as you have ten games in, things things should be slowing down. You know, you should be getting better, but it just seems to be that he's not. You know, so I think that uh, I think you you kind of kind of you have to look at it the the whole perspective. You know, you can't really. Just say, look at it from the the side of the rookie. You know, he he, he is a rookie, but he's a different type of rookie. You know, so and, not every rookie. And here's the other thing: is that I get it. He was the seventh wide receiver taken in the draft, but he's in the situation where it's not like Mike Williams with the Chargers. The Rams don't yeah. have, you know, they they don't have space to wait. They need they need him to be the guy to make plays. 
and this week he didn't. And if the Rams are going to be successful, he's got to. There's just no wiggle room around it. He's going to have to be that guy. And, and that has never been more true than right now, considering that Sean McVay just uh, said under his uh, press conference that it looks like yeah. Robert Woods is going to be out for a couple of weeks. How yeah. big is that, considering Robert Woods has stepped up and he's pretty really? much become the Rams' go-to receiver. You know, he is the guy that Jerry Goff has shown the most trusted, more than more than Cooper Cup. He is, uh, and more than Sammy Watkins. He's Jerry Goff's guy. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah, everybody's more than Sammy Watkins. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but he, and, he's become, but yesterday he's become was the perfect example. Yeah, and to to me, yesterday was the perfect example of all of it, of why Sammy Watkins is on the team, even when he doesn't get targeted, of the value of having him and what he does for Robert Woods. And Robert Woods ended up with 11 targets. It was it was quite clear that that part of what the Rams were trying to do was let Sammy Watkins occupy Xavier Rhodes, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, and go to go to Robert Woods. He had 11 targets. Cooper Cup ended up with seven, and he was drawing some different coverage looks. And, and that was just how it was supposed to work. They, they didn't get into any rhythm. I would have loved to see more out of the ground, but quite clearly in terms of how it's going to fit. I mean, he's the leading receiver on the team. There's no way to get around it. It's a it's a big loss. We got we got to see if we get some more definitive timetables uh, because right now all we've got is he's out for a couple of weeks, and he's not going to have surgery, so that's good, but – it's one of those things where, quite clearly, they need him to come back for the playoffs. It sounds like they're optimistic that he will, but, you know, the difference between coming back after week 17 and coming back for week 15 could be a huge, huge difference. Uh, and we didn't get really any specifics, so we'll have to see. But, yeah, there's no overstating how big of a loss is. Did I lose you, though? Who, who do you think has to step up? I think I was. Oh, who do you think have to? Who do you think have to step up right now? Like who is your? Who's the receiver that you're looking well, at? Looking at? Well, we got to see. Like who? Who are they going to tab? Right? Is it going to be Farrell Cooper? Is it going to be Mike Thomas? Is it going to be Josh Reynolds? I, th- I think this is one of those weeks where you get into play, and especially based on what we saw from the cornerbacks, if there was somebody that people were dogging beyond Cooper Cup, it was Dominique Hatfield, who, you know, in, in, a, in a rough game where you're already without Troy Hill, who may be the number one reserve cornerback they like to go to. You lose Kayvon <laughs> Webster to injury. You lose Nikel Roby Coleman. So now you've got Blake Countess and Dominique Hatfield in the game to try to work across from Trumaine Johnson. That's asking a lot from those guys. Um, so it, it, it's clear that when they get to practice on Wednesday, they need to make some decisions about who they want to hold what job. Because if all those guys are gone again, you've you got to have some certainty of what you're going to try to do, whether it's the wide receiver issue or the cornerback issue, of how you're going to try to get some kind of competitive disadvantage lessened against the Saints. You know, this, uh, this is the uh, – the perfect storm. <laughs> That's probably it. The can be. This, this is the perfect storm um, because you're coming off of a, a devastating loss. You know, uh, the to lose twenty four to seven. You know, it wasn't a pretty loss. The Rams, the Rams, uh, they they were everything that you would have expected them not to be uh, yesterday. Like you said, they only had. You know, that first drive when they came down, it was an impressive drive, the, the Cooper Cup fumble drive. 
But outside of that, there was a lot of struggles. You know, they finished the game with 254 total yards, okay? They were 3 of 11 on third down. This is, this is 100% Rams of last year, you know, the 4-12 Rams. That's what, that, that's what the, the, the game looked, looked a lot alike, you know. It looked a lot of like the Rams of last year, not this year. Um, from the performance of the players to the play calling of the, from the coaches, you know, it was a very vanilla game plan, um, very straightforward. It wasn't it wasn't too much creativity being shown on the field. Even the route concepts was very bland. You know, uh, the fumbles, the drop passes. You know, there was a couple times where the line just got whooped. <laughs> you know. Um, One thing I should say, though, you know, uh, is that the line wasn't as bad as it looks on film. Um, A lot of it was coverage. You know, a lot of it was coverage was forced because Jared Goff had a lot of time back there. He was he was holding the ball for a long period of time, but he he didn't have anyone to throw it to. So a lot of times when the pocket collapsed, it wasn't that the line wasn't blocking. There was a lot of uh, situations where the coverage was just that good. Guys wasn't getting open, you know, which falls on the receiver. So it was it was kind of a blend of everything. But now that that's happened, you know, you've played this bad game. Um, you have a fan base, and we're going to get to this in a moment here with some of the fans' questions, but you have a fan base that's just like, oh, boy, here we go again. You know, like we've seen this story again. This is why we didn't the stadium, you know, like we were expecting this to come. Like that's the thought process now, you know, because when you've lost so many years in a row and then you have a loss like that that's ugly and the panic button is hit a lot easier than it would be if it was the Patriots who just lost that game or something like that, you know, because the idea is already in your head that this was coming. Um, now you have the Saints coming. Uh, this is what makes it the perfect storm. You know, with the Saints, you know, when you play the, when you play the Saints, it's more so a matter of, okay, we need to, as uh, as Andrew Whitworth said, we need to kind of weather the storm, you know, face this adversity head on. But the Saints is probably the hardest team they're going to play this year just because of what the Saints bring. The Saints are running the ball unbelievably well. Um, if you take away the first three weeks of the season where they – three or four weeks where they wasn't uh, running the ball at all. They were playing that same old Saints backyard football where they throw the ball a million times. The Saints have the number one rushing offense in the NFL since then. And uh, even including the entire season, they're third overall. The Rams struggle to stop the run. (laughs) It's just that simple. Then you added the fact that you have a Drew Brees. So not only are you an amazing running team, and Alvin Kamara, he just cannot be tackled. The dude breaks every tackle, it seems like. But you can run the ball really well. But then you have a Drew Brees. This is like the perfect storm. You know, the the, the chips are stacked up against the Rams. This is probably going to be the hardest game that the Rams have to play because they're really good, the Saints, they're really good at running. But then you have a Drew Brees, and then they, they, uh, they score a lot of points just like the Rams. But then they also have a really good pass defense. The weakness for the Saints – is their rush defense. So you, when you when you step back and you kind of look at the big picture, it's like, could this be that? Could this be the game where the Rams persevere and it lights that fire and they get that going again? Or could this be that game where it causes a snowball effect and they may lose another two, three, four games here on the back end of the schedule? What do you think about that? Well, I think the number one thing that's real interesting the way you brought it up is that there's a style issue, right? And maybe that's the real lesson, less so than, like, who lost the game, the coaches or the players, and more that the Rams got stuck into 
playing the Vikings style of football, right? That it was seven to seven through three quarters. And both teams are trying to grit out a game where we thought that the Rams high powered offense was going to, you know, come in and force Minnesota to respond. It was the other way around. We ended up playing their game. And so I do wonder if maybe there's an advantage to the opportunity to come back and play this kind of a game where where you're going to need to score points and, you know, assuming that the Saints are able to do so, this could be the shut the shootout kind of game that we got against the 49ers, a much inferior team that nonetheless, the the style of game that we, we seem to prefer. I, I think that's going to be really interesting. I'm I'm trying not to look beyond this because you know that's getting. You mentioned the idea that the Saints are the biggest challenge. I don't know the way that Philadelphia is playing that they're not the best team that we got left on the schedule. Uh, and I'm not trying to discount Seattle or Tennessee whatsoever, but, you know, yeah, this is a hell of a finish to the season that we got. And yet they better learn something yesterday, whether that's, you know, how to play in those conditions in terms of the pressure and the caliber of the challenge or figuring out how to impose your game plan and game style into the game. Uh, whatever it is, they got they need to have learned it by today, because starting tomorrow pretty much when you get into installing the game plan for the Saints, they need to get going, man. Absolutely. So, we had a, a couple of couple of uh, listener questions here. I really wanted to take... But before we get to listener questions, I got a question for you, man. I got a question. What's up? What's the right way to ask this? How how big of a problem on a scale of one to ten? Ten being it's the biggest problem in the history of football. One being I don't care about it whatsoever. It's fine. Is the pass rush because to to me to me it's the most deficient unit of the team. I'm worried about the running game, and I don't mean Todd Gurley. I mean the running game, just the ground attack in general. But I, I do have some faith that we can get it right and get more out of the running game. Yesterday, we didn't see much in the way of a pass rush, and even when it got to Case Keenum, it didn't finish the play. The only real player that was really consistently disrupting plays was Aaron Donald. He finished with two tackles and didn't get a sack, but he was affecting plays. That's what Aaron – even if you don't get a sack, you can still disrupt the play. The problem was we were having to get so little from the outside that we were throwing all these blitzes to try to get home at Case Keenum, and he was avoiding them. They were doing a good job of picking them up. The touchdown to Thielen was that all-out blitz where the guys that were left in the secondary were all in man coverage so that when Hatfield misses the tackle, there's nobody else to stop Thielen. And I, I draw a direct line from that to the inability to rush the passer. How worried are you about it on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, 1 to 10, I would say a 6. Um, really? It could be better. Yeah, it could be better. But it's not, it's not something that scares me as much. Um, up until yesterday, the Rams had had a turnover in every single game this season. Sure. Um, sure. And the vast majority of those turnovers, I think all but like two, had to do with the pass rush, um, where they were either for- rushing the quarterback, forcing him into errant throws, or there was a sack strip fumble. Um, that's how they got out of their 18 turnovers. I think that's how they got, or it was like 15, they were talking about it. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was 15, though. You know, so they, they've gotten turnovers because of their pass rush. The issue is they are getting there. They could have more, basically. 
Uh, they're getting there, but they're missing it by just an inch, you know, uh, where they're, the pass rush is in the quarterback's face, but they're not quite getting them down. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is, though, there's just not enough of a threat on the edges. You know, Connor Barwin, he's over the hill. Robert Quinn, he's not really old. The guy's 28, but the problem is, you know, while he's 28, he is uh, every since the back he's surgery, his back. He, cannot, he can't, he can't yeah. bend which was what made him so lethal. He's still just as fast getting off the ball. I swear, if you go back and you watch the film, he flies off the ball. The difference is, he, he once upon a time, he could turn the corner and almost be parallel with the ground and stay on his yep. feet. But he can't do yep. that now. Now when he tries to, he falls every time. He doesn't have the balance, the strength in his back to go at that speed and turn the corner at that angle. He tries to do it, but he can't do it. He falls every time he tries to do it. And um, I think I personally think it has to do with the back surgery. I don't think his back has been the same since the back surgery, which has thrown his balance off. If you know anything about mm-hmm. anatomy in the human body, if you take away that center, <laughs> where you know that it's not the same. You know, and uh, I think that's where it all comes from. You know, the fact that he got this resisted surgery, he can't turn the corner. Uh, you know, so. The Rams need the, the Rams need some new bookends in there. I keep calling for them. I want to see Juan Price in there. <laughs> you know, uh, we we've seen Simpson, Ebukam in there. Uh, we need to see. I think we need to see some Juan Price in there. Like I truly, genuinely believe that. Um, and the, but I'm the still problem not, is, I'm like a year scared, ago, scared of. Yeah. I was just gonna say the problem yeah. is that a year or two ago, that'd be fine to go ahead and put Juan Price in there. We're facing the Saints. We got a playoff push. Like I don't, I, I, I were, and I'm a conservative football philosopher. So it's one of those things where if you're comfortable with the risk factor to play around with personnel changes like that this late in the season, you're more comfortable with them than I am, right? It's one of those things but where the, but the if thing we were, is that's the assumption that yeah. he's not good enough. Maybe, maybe. It's See, like, the reason why I'm, I'm more, I'll put it like this: I'm more worried than a six. Like the that. reason why the pass rush isn't more worrisome to me is because what's the rules to pass rushing? Do you know what the rules are? The number one. I do not know what you're referring to. The number one rule to pass rushing is you first have to stop the run. That I thought is it was make sure you're wearing the right uniform. <laughs> I think that's like six or seven of the rules. <laughs> But the number one rule to pass rushing is making sure that you stop the run. If you can't stop the run, you don't earn the right to rush the passer. Because why? Because then the guys are moving, they're, they're getting in third and short. <laughs> you know, they're in, you know they're they're in second and six, third and two, first down. If you can't stop the run, you can't rush the passer. That's the reason yeah. the pass rush isn't higher for me. It's just a six. Um, because. Again, outside of the fact that they've gotten the, the, that the pass rush has caused so many turnovers, the Rams have struggled so much with stopping the run. And I said it week one, watching Frank Gore just run for I think four point six yards a carry. I was just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like it was too easy. And but the first thing I said was, "When they face a more competent offense." and they face a younger, more spry back, they're going to get eight alive. And it's been consistent. Consistently, the Rams have been allowing rushes that you just you kind of scratch your head and you look at the end of the game. Yesterday, Latavius Murray, he just looked like 
uh, he looked like Adrian Peterson out there in the Vikings uniform. You know, he was just gassing them. Yeah, he was just gassing them for huge chunks. And the Rams have continuously uh, struggled with that. Uh, when we had when we had Ralph and and um, TD on a couple of weeks ago, Ralph's exact words was the right. thing drive that the things that scared me the most was that opening drive. You know, where the first play the running back goes for twenty nine yards. It's like that has happened every week. The Rams have allowed a run go, except for the Adrian Peterson. That's it. Every week outside of that, the Rams have had a, allowed a runner to rush for a 20-yard run. And it's and that's what scares me the most. Like So it's more alarming to me that the rush defense has uh, been so uh, bad than the, the pass rush being middle of the pack. Because it's middle of the pack. I mean, they're getting there sometimes. They're not. But they're creating a lot of pressure. They're creating a lot of turnovers for the pass rush. So it is middle of the pack. But it's not what we're used to, and I think if it if we weren't used to what we've been used to the past five years, six years with the Rams, I don't think it would be as big of a deal to you, because I think we've kind of gotten spoiled with the riches that we've had on the D line. Um, but it's not it's it's not bad though. The Rams the Rams pass rush isn't bad. They're in the middle of the pack. They're not at the bottom. Or I think they're like 14th or something. I'm going to have to double-check the stat, but, well, I don't know what it is now because this was last week and they didn't get a sack yesterday, but they were like 13th or 14th in, like, sacks or something like that. It wasn't terrible. You know, the pass rush has caused a lot of turnovers. So it's like they're not they're not a terrible unit. We've just been spoiled. Now, the run defense, whole other story. That is an alarming 10 to me. <laughs> that, that is a straight-up 10. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> if they could stop the run better, they probably would have more sacks. What we got on these listener questions? So we had uh, we had ourselves a couple of listener questions. I definitely wanted to make sure we get to some of these. Um, it seems like the the best questions come after a loss for for some reason. <laughs> so uh, the first thing, the first question comes from uh, Alex Millardi, and he asks, "What's it going to take?" He actually had a two part question. We'll get to that second part later on, though. But uh, he says, "What's it going to take to contain the Saints' running backs?" Great question. You want to go, you want to take a stab at this, Joe? No, you got to go. You, you, that was you going. You had the rush defense as a worry of a ten, so you got to take that one. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that the Rams can stop the Saints running back. Um, this is why the this is why the Saints game scares me the most. Um, I think it's going to be easier, not necessarily easy, but easier to stop the Eagles' rushing attack than it is the Saints. The reason being is. The first off, the 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 Eagles rushing attack just got good when Jay Ajayi got there. It was pretty average before that. Um, but the Saints have been turning it out, like I said earlier, since about week four. Uh, they've been since they decided to commit to the run, they've been killing it. Um, I think that, the, and plus they have this two-headed monster. I think that this is going to be definitely what makes this game so hard for the Rams is that. The, the fact that they do struggle with the run, and the Saints, honestly, they have the best rushing attack in the NFL right now. It's, it's not even close, <laughs> you know. Um, that I, th- I don't think it's possible to stop this, uh, for the Rams to stop this rushing attack. I think that the, the Saints have faced much better rush defenses if they couldn't stop them. I think the only thing you can try to do is try to contain it and don't allow – 
that 40-yard run for a touchdown that it seems like it happens every week for this squad. You know, don't allow those plays, and I think you have a chance. But I don't personally think that the Rams can stop the uh, Saints rushing attack. What do you think? I th- if I'm being blunt, I think they got to stop it with offense. I think you just got to match fire with fire. Yeah, because I, I I'm, with, I'm with you. I, I like uh, Kamara more than Ingram, but uh, the the problem is that it is a two headed attack, and the versatility you get out of both of them makes it damn hard to stop. And already because it's a flaw, I don't know that we can. I think if you're if you're going to deal with it, you just got to cancel it out so that it's not an advantage for them. And you're talking about strength on strength, and if it, it, it's not even a strength for us, right? So, but we got to force the issue, and I think the Rams got to figure out a way to get more out of Todd Gurley on the ground to match what I anticipate from the Saints, because I don't know that we can't stop them. I'm with you on that. So this next question, I feel like it was – I feel like that question was meant for me. Like, they just knew that we, I was going to be talking about the, the run defense. <laughs> this question, the person knew that you were going to be talking about the pass rush. <laughs> so he, uh, this is from Dustin mm-hmm. Wendelgatz, and he says, should we be concerned that a legitimate playoff team – not any old team, but a legitimate playoff team was able to neutralize our pass rush and put the hammer down on our offense. Is, is this a trend going forward when we have New Orleans and Philadelphia coming up soon? Have, uh, we have beaten a decent amount of bad teams, just hoping we could come up with uh, come up big next week when we really need to. What do you think of that? So those are two different things, right? You said neutralize the pass rush and – something about the offense. And I think those are two completely different issues. I'm not necessarily worried that a playoff caliber team neutralized our pass rush because I don't think you have to be a playoff caliber team to neutralize it. I'm more worried about the offense, right? We have, we have now the number two scoring offense in the NFL. That game was 7-7 seven to seven after three quarters. So it's not as if I'm necessarily worried about something that we need to see more from the defense. The defense was having a pretty good game. And even with a marginal pass rush, the secondary is so good when healthy that I, I feel like we can get it. When you've got Aaron Donald, Trumaine Johnson, John Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, and even Kayvon, he's got some detractor. I've heard there's a detractor of his somewhere in the Rams fan internet somewhere uh, out there, Myson. Yeah. As long as, <laughs> as long as you've got the talent <laughs> in the secondary to match with Aaron Donald, I feel like you can get around the, and, and you've got Michael Brockers helping out things up front. I think you can get around the issue of the pass rush even against good teams, and I think the score yesterday reflected that. The real problem was that the Rams only had seven points and only had those two drives. Every other drive they had besides those two, the one where they scored the touchdown and the one where they fumbled, was just nothing. There was just nothing there, and that's, I, that's what worries me is that I didn't anticipate that, and the fact the Vikings were able to get it done is one of those things that might signal to other teams, if you can stifle them on offense, this team – can bend and break on defense, and that's exactly what happened. So less worried about the pass rush only because I don't have as much faith in it. As the second-highest-scoring offense, I had a hell of a lot more faith on our offensive side, and they were the ones who didn't deliver the biggest yesterday. <laughs> that is uh, that's a funny but interesting and valid way of looking at it. Um, you know, not as much faith, so it's like, why well, worry about it? But, yeah, I, I know. The offense, I will be the first to say, I didn't think was going to score 30 points. You know, I didn't think that was going to be the case. Uh, now, with that being said, though, I also didn't think they were going to score seven. Uh, I was the one who pointed out the fact that the, the Vikings really hadn't played a lot of uh, – 
decent for him to forget top top notch like decent offenses thus far this season. So I didn't I didn't uh, expect the Rams to put up thirty, but I also expected to uh, put up more than seven. I was thinking this was probably going to be a close game, something like twenty eight twenty four. Whoever won, it was going to be something in that range. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, there was only one team that scored twenty four in this game, but. Um, this was, uh, I think the offense was probably the most shocking to me. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, as far as the answer to the other part of his question, I wouldn't say that it's a trend going forward because uh, I don't think the Saints' pass blocking is as good as what the uh, Vikings is. And I definitely don't think Philadelphia's is because they lost Jason Peters, which is a huge blow. I think Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers are going to eat that left tackle alive, <laughs> you know, and. One thing I did like about Wade Phillips yesterday was that he finally started to really move guys in the box all over. Robert Quinn was rushing from all over. And honestly, as far as just pass rush goes, this was his best game of the season because of the movement. Uh, I haven't seen Robert Quinn line up on the right side this much since a, since he was a rookie. Uh, so he was, he was kind of all over. Aaron Donald was all over. Michael Brockers was all over. He was having guys move a lot, and I think that's going to help against those teams in the future. Um, Next question. So, Kurt uh, Pinder, he says, Todd Gurley has been getting a lot of carries on the ground the last couple weeks. Do do you think we uh, go back to a more balanced attack on offense? Uh, I say we certainly need to. (laughs) Uh, It's it's kind of what I was getting at, you know, to start the uh, show about um, kind of Sean McVay not really doing what Sean McVay has done. Uh, one thing about the Rams' offense, when they were clicking, you know, to start that four-game stretch, they were absolutely 100% balanced. You know, you saw 25, 30 pass attempts. You saw 25 rush attempts. There was balance, and that's when they were at their absolute best. And there hasn't been as much balance lately um, for various reasons, though. But I don't think that the, the run game has been stuffed so well to where you need to abandon it. Um, Ty Gurley had a couple of a couple of good runs yesterday. You know, where he ripped off seven yards here, he ripped off six yards here, which is what he's consistently done this year. I think that the difference has been why there hasn't been as many is that there hasn't been as many opportunities. Um, that's that's kind of uh, the most alarming thing to me is that I I feel like the the run game is kind of getting abandoned too soon over the last couple of weeks. But, it, it, Joe, you touched on it already. There has definitely been a, a huge decrease in carries, you know, with the exception of the Houston game because the starters was pulled. But there, it, it's something that stood out. But even in the Houston game with those 11 carries, you know, you saw the production that he had. So it, it, I definitely think that it, there needs to be more balance. What do you think, Joe? It's just a little column A, column B, right? Part of it is you got to balance things out. We had 37 passers compared to 15 carries from Todd Gurley. So, yes, you you want to see a better balance between the ground game and the passing game. But at the same time, you've got to get more out of your offensive chances. We had, we had those two drives that were essentially scoring drives. I'm going to count the fumble drive as a scoring drive. The other six drives were either five or three plays. The, the offense only took 59 snaps. The defense took 78. So, you know, 
how much better would it have looked in terms of balance if we had had longer drives and chances to feed Todd Gurley on first and second down more where, for whatever reason, what we were trying to do when we got the ball on our first series was pass our way into a drive, and it just didn't work. So I don't know, but you gotta get you got to get both. you got to get more carries to balance things for Todd Gurley, and you got to get more snaps for the offense to be able to do so for him. All right, so real quick, we will get to this question before we go back to the first first question from Alex Blardi, because uh, we got to make sure we get that on there for you. <laughs> but uh, not good. Sebastian Butt, <laughs> Sebastian Butt there. Um, he asked for whatever reason, you know, letting Tavon run wild pre-snap and sometimes after has worked so far. Why not one one time today? So yesterday. Yeah. Um, and I love the way he phrased this question for whatever reason. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Essentially, I don't know why it works, but it works. <laughs> so, um, I, I really think that Shopping Bay overthought it. Uh, yes, one game at a time is very real, and it does work. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself and miss certain details, you know, because you're thinking too much about the next opponent when you haven't even played this opponent yet. Um, that it is a real thing. It's very cliche, but it's very real. And Sean McVay says it a lot, and I think he truly believes it. But there's no way you can tell me that he doesn't recognize the magnitude of the the final seven game, the final seven weeks of the season. You know, now now the final six. Uh, there's a there's a there's a lot that's hanging in the balance there because of who the rest play. Uh, it completely completely changes the landscape of the playoffs. The seeding and everything will will change if the Rams went out here because of all of the playoff teams they're playing, it changes everything. You know, so I think it, I don't think that anyone can say that he doesn't understand that, he doesn't see that. Uh, I, and because of that, I think that all led to him overthinking. Um, I think he tried to switch it up too much to try to catch them off guard. And by switching it up too much, I think he really kind of put himself in a rut. You know, and from there, he's played catch-up. You know, he's over there on that cooler in his spot trying to figure out the best play to run to get out of it. But uh, it just—it was that snowball effect, you know. When when he put himself in that situation, then you're scrambling, trying to figure out the best way to move the ball. Uh, you haven't practiced the, the certain things and certain ideas and concepts throughout the week because you practiced this, and the curveball didn't work. So now you're trying to get back on track. And then when you do get on track, you have a fumble at the one yard line. It was the perfect storm, you know. Things just didn't go right. But with all that being said. I definitely all game long was kept saying they need to get Tavon in the game. I don't think it's a coincidence that the game where Tavon sees two snaps and they don't do any of the pre-snap or, as you mentioned, the post-snap things that they do with him, that the offense struggled so much. Um, One thing from Ty Gurley's rookie season that we saw was he and Tavon played off of each other. You know, Ty Gurley admitted to this that, Tavon and him being able to run off of each other with the motions and things like that, the attention that Tavon grabbed, it made his job easier. Uh, I just, I don't think that 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 was uh, abandoned on purpose, but it was abandoned. I think it would be wise to get back to that moving forward. Joe, you got anything before we get to this uh, last part of this question? No, nah, let's hit this. Let's hit this up because I'm interested. All right, so Alex Bellardi, the two-part question. He even lay, he even numbered them off for you. Number one is it, was, is it about uh, food? You know, <laughs> number one was the, the what's it going to take to contain the Saints running backs, and number two, the big question of the day: Does three K think North Texas 
will show up <laughs> this time against <laughs> FAU Owls. FAU. Conference oh, USA man. Championship. <laughs> Are they so going to show up? Which, the by gr- the way, is the perfect lead way into college football. Go. Well, and here's the interesting thing, right, is that you've got – You've got a big storyline here in Lane Kiffin, right? Lane Kiffin is one of the most interesting characters in the sport. Um, first year coaching at FAU and has done a good job turning that program around in year one and is probably going to get some discussion. I don't know if he'll take a job this year, but he's definitely got them playing to the point that he's going to get a I mean, it's worked. He made the right decision. He's going to get a job off of base. It won't be Tennessee. I know that. They're looking for somebody to come and replace Butch Jones, but they are not going back to Lane Kiffin. Um, what's interesting is that North Texas at the same time is they we've never done this as a program before. We've never been this good at this level. And so our coach, second-year coach, Cecil Trail, former offensive coordinator for North Carolina, spent some time with Arizona in the Pac-12, if some USC, UCLA fans remember him. Uh, he's turned the, and North Texas into one of the better offenses in the country, and so they're going to face each other in the conference championship in a rematch of a really, really fun but really uh, disappointing game for North Texas. When we played them a couple months ago, uh, Myson, FAU scored on their first 11 possessions. We didn't stop them once the whole damn game until the final possession of the game. Uh, that was not good. And the problem is, this is one of those things, we don't have a good defense. We're, we're, the, we're the kind of team where we've got to outscore people, and we've done a fine job. That's why you know, North Texas is 8-3. Uh, so I'll put in the word. If, if you're getting bored when uh, we get to championship week and you're looking for something to check out, that game's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of points. There's going to be a ton of offense, and you've got an up-and-coming coach in Seth Luttrell going against a known – what's the right way to describe Lane Kiffin? He's a, he's a proven commodity, but he's also a psychotic asshole, and you, don't, you, you never know what you're going to get from psychotic. They're fun. They're fun, right? That's the best way to define him. <laughs> he's, hey, Lane Kiffin's a lot of fun as long as he's not in charge of your program, and as a, he's a solid football coach. But he's a psychotic asshole, and when you've got a psychotic asshole steering the ship, you don't know where he's taking you. Is he going to take you into harbor where you're supposed to go, or is he just going to decide, oh, well, I've decided to take everyone and all of your livelihoods and all of your millions of dollars over here for a while? You don't know. And so, hey, I would say this. I don't know that we're going to get the better of him. I don't like the matchup at all, but it's going to be fun. You know, it was a uh, it was it was a it was a let's just say it was a boring week for college football. There wasn't a lot of huge games being That's played. Nice. Uh, I watched I watched a handful of them. Um, I definitely watched the uh, Miami game. Um, it was it looked it was kind of scary to be in. It looked like I'm like oh, Virginia. Yeah, Virginia was in it for a while. You you're supposed to be back. Don't lose to Virginia. <laughs> and all I kept thinking watching that game was Chris Long is so happy right now. <laughs> like. I kept thinking that, but uh, they pulled it off. They were able to come back with the big pick six that kind of turned everything around. That was uh, the best part of the game. But six weeks ago, okay, six weeks ago, I told you and everybody out there listening, I said my Missouri Tigers are going to win out during the season, and they're going to do it convincingly. And they're going to finish the season with a respectable 7-5. Guess what? They beat Vanderbilt this weekend. 45-17. In fact, this is the fourth week 
the fifth week in a row where they've scored at least 45 points. <laughs> and they are one more win away from being 7-5, finishing respectable, and doing it all in convincing fashion. Enough is said. If they played North Texas, they kicked their ass. <laughs> So hey, you, you might want to be careful. Hey, you, you might you might just find us in a bowl game. You might want to slow down, hey, bro. You gotta, but, hey, we we gonna have we go we gonna have to talk uh, waiters. <laughs> I want to see is that that would be a fun bowl game. That'd be a fun bowl game. <laughs> oh yeah, that, can you imagine that show the next that following Monday? Oh yeah, especially after you take that L. Oh yeah, <laughs> talking trash until next season. But, Enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for uh for the weekend of college football, wasn't a lot of huge games that went on. Um you you had uh Wake Forest beat North Carolina State. That was that was kind of one of those upsets. UCLA almost pulled off the upset against uh USC. I just don't know how to describe USC this year. They're just a disappointment. Like everything about them is a disappointment. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way that's the only way to describe them. Uh, Oklahoma, the, the thing, the thing that confuses me about USC is that they do, they just don't play to their talent level, right? They, they got they got so much damn talent. It's been a long time. There's no. It's been a long time. I, I don't know. That's true. Yeah, it's been a long That's time. True. But this this is one of those years where the talent level on their roster is just so overwhelming. It's it's and look, the record's fine. They only got two losses, but it's one of those things where they just shouldn't be playing these kind of games. They. they there's there's something either about the mental state of that team or their leadership or the coaching, however you want to put it. There's something that doesn't have to do with talent level and on-field skill that's been persistent throughout this season. Because, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where they're just too close in too many games for guys that are that talented. Something's wrong. Exactly. So it is what it is. I know half of those guys are going to go to the NFL, but um, – in recent years, USC players haven't really done much of anything when they've gone on to the next level. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I wish those guys the best, uh, but they really need to up their game. But that's all we got for this week. Uh, you got anything before we get out of here, Joe? No, I was just looking at the schedule for this weekend. It's going to be – this is one of those weird weeks, right, because Thanksgiving is coming in. So you chop up the college schedule. You chop up the NFL schedule. We're going to have those games on Thursdays, which is going to lead the way into week 12. And then, obviously, since we're playing on Sunday, it's going to be a ramp up, and we're going to have to see. Look, you know, one of the things that's been interesting is that a lot of people who were, you know, Los Angeles Rams fans were butting into this idea that, you know, oh, if you win, everybody's just going to immediately show up and that wasn't necessarily the case a couple weeks ago when the Rams were there now that we're later in the season the Dodgers season's over you know it's one of those dynamics that I'm really eager to see one of the things that everybody talked about with that Vikings game in the first quarter was how loud it was that the the crowd was having it and you saw with the two timeouts that we had to burn that crowd was having an effect on the game I, I just don't – you know, I've said it a couple times. I talked about it with Vinny Bonsignori. I talked about it on Ryan Karchi's podcast where, you know, it, the, the Rams can't fill a 20-year gap in Los Angeles where there was no NFL football just by winning one season. It's going, you're going to have to build up a generation of a fan base. It's going to take more than one year. But it, it, would, be, it would be really worrisome if we get into – this game by kickoff 
and it, I, the whole late arriving crowd, that's great. But th- if this isn't a fully arriving crowd, by the time this game gets going, that's something that we've got to start addressing as a uh, home field disadvantage that I don't know that any other team in the NFL, aside from us and the Chargers, is going to have to deal with. And as we head into playoff football, that might be something that becomes a bigger factor than we're ready to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, it's something that I so show I, up, I, Los Angeles. A lot show the hell up. Something I talk about. Something I talk about a lot early in the season was the empty seats. Uh, I know you mentioned, you know, when you have a ninety thousand seat stadium, but even so, I mean, ninety thousand seats. I'm seeing at least forty, fifty thousand empty. And mm-hmm. yeah, again, I get it. It's a ninety thousand seat stadium. If that forty or fifty was, you know, if that forty thousand people, fifty thousand people was enough, sixty thousand. But the difference is, they're in a city that that has the people to fill it. <laughs> you know, you can have a sixty thousand seat stadium in in St. Louis. You know, the city is literally twenty times less <laughs> than L.A. You know, as far as population goes, like they have more than enough people it- that. Could show up, but they yeah, and just, and we can just be blunt about it, right? The, the stadium fills up. Yeah. The stadium fills up for USC, and the reason's simple: yeah. USC has been giving people in that area a reason to come out for games for the last thirty years. The Rams haven't yeah. done that because they haven't been there, and I get it. They've kept the stadium attendance off, but even at that. The, the attendance was not bursting at the seams with the cap, and we need to get to that point, if only because what we saw with Minnesota. It can have a factor. It can matter. And you want to make, you want to have a good look as a franchise. And if we get into this part of the season, that may be the, the big thing that I'm looking for non-football wise is just how the crowd plays a part in this game and what kind of a narrative we're talking about. Cause I'm not, as much as I'd like to not talk about this attendance stuff anymore, if we're not really bursting at the seams, even with the cap, this game, it's going to be something we have to talk about. And it might be one of those things where we say we have to figure out a way to win games at home in spite of not having a great crowd, not because we've got one. I think it's already past that. I don't think that uh, we're going to see a, a packed house. I don't think we're going to see a sold-out game unless the Rams go into the playoffs and not just go into the playoffs, but then win their first game in the playoffs. That next game I think would be packed. I think would be sold out. The reason I say that, and they they have to win that first game convincingly. Like It has to be like, hey, we, we are a playoff team. We're here. We're a contender. The reason I say that is because if you go back to last year, the first preseason game, one thing about L.A. is it's like a party. It's the it town, you know. Whatever's the cool thing to do, everyone's going to do. You know, that's just – it's like high school. The whole city is like – you know, it's like high school. It's wherever the, the coolest thing to do that day is where everybody's going to go. You go back to the last season, you go back to preseason game number one. It was big news. L.A. returns. You had people that don't even live in L.A. at the game. You know, LeBron James came to the game. The stadium was completely packed because it was big news. It was with, oh, crap, you know, the Rams are back. It wasn't necessarily that, oh, we're all Rams fans. There was a lot of people there that wasn't Rams fans, but it was the thing to do. You have to make it the thing to do. Going into the playoffs, winning a huge playoff game, That because now all of a sudden there's only, you know, four teams playing, you know, six teams still playing, you know, whatever it is at that point, then it's like all eyes are on you. And now you're the popular thing to do. So that's what I think the Rams have to do to get to get some people to come out uh, sooner than later. Otherwise, yes, it's like you, said, you have to build some generations of a fan base. But with that being said, 
that's all we got Lego. this week. I, I, I definitely think that uh, we, we, we're in for a treat with this Saints game. <laughs> but make sure you follow the site at Turf Show Times. Follow myself at Mighty Or Bison and Joe at 3K underscore. That's it for this week. We'll holler at you next week. Yep. Yeah. Bad Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scores. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood handsome, Dodge City tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dressed in Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night.
kiss my ass, Lane Kiffin, you psychotic asshole, crazy mother. Shut your mouth. Get the hell up out of here, man. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.